Welcome everyone to this uh, session uh, hosted by uh, ASA Bank Committee in conjunction with Zlot. Today we're going to be talking about funding SMEs, as you all know if you, if you got the invite correctly, <laughs> that's why we are here. It's a very interesting topic. Um, I'm sure everyone wants to see SMEs do well in South Africa, and I think it's well documented that uh, SMEs are the backbone of the South African economy, or if not, uh, they employ the majority of South Africans. Okay, so today we're just going to be chatting about the challenges that are being faced in the SME space. And uh, the discussion will probably uh, zoom into uh, firstly the funding side of things uh, as the challenge, and we'll dive into uh, some other aspects as well. Uh, so, the form of this discussion today, this evening, is going to be uh, in the form of a panel. So, we've got our panel here represented, and uh, they're going to direct us into a very engaging discussion, uh, I presume. Uh, and uh, actually this topic is at the back of uh, Lusani's presentation uh, at the banking seminar that happened in July. Um, and uh, he touched briefly on this topic and there was a lot of um, um, uh, questions that were being asked in the audience. Uh, along uh, on, on this topic and that drove us to kind of set this uh, uh, session up so that we can uh, engage in discussion. So I'm just going to briefly introduce my panelists. Um, so we have Rusani uh, who's going to be the moderator and or facilitator of this discussion. Uh, he's the president-elect for ASA and uh, he's the public interest actuary for us. So yeah, he's got uh, quite a lot of views on the topic and uh, to actually uncover some solutions on this uh, particular topic. Um, this next, uh, uh, she is the chairperson, or chairman rather, <laughs> sorry, uh, of uh, the uh, ASA Banking Committee, and uh, she's our guiding uh, angel when it comes to uh, these uh, sessions and setting up events and uh, everything else that we do in the banking community. And uh, we've got Muzi from Baza, right? So he's the SME specialist in the, at, uh, at the Banking Association of South Africa. And uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. And she's uh, left, we've got uh, Louise. Uh, she's from NetBank. Uh, and she focuses on client value management. So she deals a lot with uh, SMEs in space. Uh, similarly, as well, from FNP, we've got uh, Valentine. Uh, he also pretty much do the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, it's good that you're sitting next to each other so you can have an interesting discussion there. So without any further ado, I will uh, leave the floor to Sani, who's going to guide us through the rest of this discussion. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, 
equipment I'm wearing here, my ears are quite strange. You want to hold on to the mic because it gives you a bit of comfort when you are standing in front of people. Um, yes, uh, in July um, I addressed the banking seminar and I threw some questions out um, to, to the audience. Um, there were other issues that we touched on, but uh, the issue of uh, SMBs um, was one I think that struck the chord and uh, I think that's why we were where we are. Um, we, there is a sense that, that, that many of us have that uh, we, we need a solution in terms of employment in, in South Africa. And, and in, 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 in other countries, uh, we have seen that uh, the, the area of small businesses has been one that actually generates a lot of employment and ends up employing the majority of people in such markets. I mean, in the US, I mean, if, you, if you're just going to Africa, 80%, uh, the, the formal, informal sector, you may find about 80% being informal. So, you know, business is a way of life, that's how people um, uh, survive. Uh, but, but, but in South Africa, um, you know, it, it's not a session. You do have the sort of survival type business, but the challenge is always how do you move it from just being survival to being something a bit more established that uh, can, can employ uh, more people. So, so, so I think we, we are at a point in, in, in our development as a, as a, as a country uh, where we have to get all engines um, uh, to fire from all cylinders. And, and this is, um, this is uh, one um, engine that definitely, uh, if we can get it to, 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 to work and to, and to fire, um, it, can, it can cause massive changes in our country. So we need to understand where are we failing, what do we need to do, and the, the banks are here to explain to us how they look at business, uh, the kind of factors they consider, um, and, and from their perspective, what would need to be done by who um, to, 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 to make some changes. Why, um, why, ASA, why is ASA interested in this topic? So I think what happened is when, when ASA got itself involved in banking, um, you know, it was inviting this kind of situation, uh, because banking is broad. Um, and, and there's an issue of risk and risk management. Um, and I would have um, wished also for the, the ERM guys to be here as well, uh, enterprise risk management guys, because there's an aspect of what I'm going to share which um, require that kind of focus. So, uh, in terms of uh, the public interest focus here, um, uh, our role is to engage with uh, uh, policymakers. Uh, is one of the one of the goals. Number two, um, it's also to um, encourage our members uh, to to identify problems that can be solved, problems that are of a public interest. And and as we say that uh, small businesses have a potential, and that needs to be unlocked. So so that is in the public interest to get that going. Um, so, so that is why we think that if we can have these type of discussions and if we can come up with something that, you know, if we look back in 10 years' time, you know, the Easter's growth in South Africa due partly, partially to our efforts, I think we will all, you know, then pat ourselves on the back and put the job well done. Um, and then the third aspect uh, uh, in terms of the public interest focus on this is, is educating the public to understand uh, key issues around public interest problems in, in this regard, uh, the, the, the small businesses, uh, their failure rates and, and what needs to be done. So, so I, I can imagine that we have situations where one day, Kudzai, um, Kuda, you are on SAFM or you are on uh, Morning Live and you're talking about uh, how we could improve the success rates of, uh, of small businesses in South Africa. And I think there will be significant interest in, in that kind of topic. So, you know, I, 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 will, I want the actuallys to be out there. That, that's, a, that's, that's, my, that's my mission, 
uh, that I'm on uh, in the two roles that I have is to really get actuaries to, to understand the skill set that they have of dissecting information, getting insight, and, and it can also play a role to educate the public so that they can make wiser decisions. Um, so so that, that, I believe, is in the, is in the public interest. So a seminar like this will help us to identify solutions uh, for this very important problem. Inequality is the main challenge of our time, and unemployment contributes significantly to this problem. Um, and, and, and small businesses are big employers in many big economies, and the only way many countries can survive. What needs to be done to, to stimulate these uh, small businesses in South Africa? We need to ask ourselves that question. And, and what, what value can actuaries add uh, to realize this objective? Now, I'm taken back to a presentation that uh, Michael Ticharewa, you guys are kind of present in the child profession. Michael Ticharewa um, also was, very, was a pioneer in the banking space. Um, and he presented an interesting concept in, in the, I think it was in the 2017 convention in Johannesburg, um, about the role that actuaries can play to de-risk a project. And he was, at that point, he was looking at more large-scale uh, projects, like the construction pro project and so on. In his presentation, he gave examples of a, of a construction project, uh, that how it can be de-risked and how this can open up funding. So we know that the banks, I was talking to a banker and said, what do you look at? So now we look at turnover, and there's no turnover. We can't even enter into a discussion. And, 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 and also just the strength of the balance sheet. I mean, uh, you can't go into a certain kind of uh, project with a certain kind of risk if you do not have a balance sheet that can support that. So in a sense, you know, if all else fails, what can you sell that belongs to you? Um, and you will find many of the small guys do not have assets. There's nothing that they can put up as security and so on. So these guys will not even look at the people like that. Uh, although maybe uh, if he's got a, a tender or, or something has been signed, maybe they can, but they, even then it's a little bit difficult. So, 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 so in spaces like that where there is potential but they, there's just nothing to show, that there are no uh, assets to show, there's no balance sheet, and uh, there's no uh, turnover yet, what happens then? How do you de-risk that project? How do you package it in a way that these guys would feel, okay, maybe we can do something here? And I think there's an opportunity to create uh, structures uh, that will make it a bit easier um, for, for the banks to have a look at that. So banks are, are, are supposed to be responsible lenders. Um, Basel and all those risk management tools and regulations and so on would not encourage them to be um, you know, irresponsible lenders. They have to be responsible lenders. They have to impair certain assets after a certain point of non-payment and some people. Um, so, so, so that will stop them from even looking at, at certain kind of, uh, of projects. That's just on the funding side. But I guess the, the funding um, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an indication of uh, what is deemed to be, um, how can I put it, investable uh, business or not. So the fact that banks are finding fewer opportunities, and it's not just banks, I think there was mentioned that um, there isn't a lack of funding in, in the country. I think the CEO's initiative also raised a lot of money. But it's difficult to find people to invest in uh, because there's just certain things that do not present themselves. Um, what, what can be done to, 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 to make more businesses uh, investable? Uh, the question we ask today is how can we significantly reduce the risk that uh, SME face so that they can be funded better and have a better chance of success? Um, have we studied the profile of South African small businesses well enough to understand their distribution of success? So 
uh, talking to, to, to one of the panelists before the session asked, if, we, if the statistics tell us that nine out of 100 uh, businesses that start are gonna be successful, is it possible for us to identify the nine before? So if you have 100 uh, people pitching ideas of the businesses that they're going to start and so on, is it possible for us to have a, a sense of the kind of factors that one would need to look at even before the turnover starts rolling in? Is that possible? Is that something that it, is it possible to do such a study and, 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 and be accurate 95% of it? We know there's always that 5% that is <laughs> a margin of error. Um, is it possible to do that? I think that's one thing that we need to ask ourselves. Uh, if I just want to put up uh, some of the questions I'm considering. Uh, do, so in a, in a sense, do we understand the success factors very well? Um, if one says 10 over, I think that's, that's already almost down the line, in a sense. That, that, that's maybe too easy. That's not taking any risk. Um, um, so, 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 but how would one take good risk in the sense that you're looking at uh, upfront, these are the factors, we've sort of done our study, we, we, can, we can take a risk here. Uh, and, and I mean, it's obviously there's no guarantee of success. Is it, uh, is it then possible uh, to put together portfolios of small businesses that are likely to be more successful? So in other words, is it possible to even increase uh, the nine to 20 or to 50? that are likely to succeed in, 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 in our way. We know how difficult uh, it is to succeed in business, so uh, I'm not going to say to take it up to 80. I think we just need to start at 20 or 30 or something, improving the chances of success. Um, and then, would it be possible to attract funding for such a vehicle? What would that vehicle look like? And would it then be possible to, to, to attract funding for that? Obviously, in this space, you have venture capitalists, and they've got their safe and criteria, but they will look at them. So they go be, before turnover. They go to even like to concepts, just an idea, and then they work with you. So they go way back. Um, and, and they know, like, out of 10, maybe one will succeed. And when that one succeeds, they make up the money that lost for the rest of the nine. So there are those principles at play as well. So one would not just be looking to banks for some of these solutions. They would need other types of lenders as well. But then the other question, which is key for South Africa, because sometimes when you when attend this, uh, this innovation summits where they're doing their pitching bands and so on, when you look at the kind of ideas that are being presented, those would be you know uh, for people who have a university degree or have that level of exposure, it is more complex kind of concepts that um, that, 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 that that we're dealing with. But we also need to ask ourselves in the South Africa that we have with the kind of people that we have and the un unemployment rate that we have. Um, is it possible to, to set up a vehicle or have a vehicle um, that will have that impact, that crushing impact for such kind of And is that possible or not? Um, and then also the other question, is there a sector uh, that is more prone to success than others, given the reality of South Africa? So, so, so it would be easy to, uh, to go to uh, Stellenbosch University graduates, university graduates, and, and do this experiment with them. And, and it, it's also necessary at that level, obviously. But um, is it possible to do it with those that um, have uh, uh, you know, less education? And what's possible in that space? If we're saying that we want to see these small businesses being successful. Um, but obviously, um, given that businesses themselves and starting a business and running a business is difficult, 
it may be that uh, the focus should be on those that are more educated and more likely to, to, to succeed in the, the right sort of training and the right attitude. Because you are you're, you're, you're gunning for them being able to employ, even if it's four or five. Um, so those are the type of things that one can think about. I mean, one is not able to solve all the challenges that the country faces, but where could one start and, and, and have a, an, an impact, a grassroots impact um, in, in South Africa in, in the promotion of, of, of businesses? So th these are the sort of questions that I thought uh, uh, we need to throw out there. Um, I'm sure the, the panelists, I can see they, they are frowning, they're busy thinking. Um, you know how how do I uh, uh, tackle this one? So so and, and and you as the audience, I'm sure the reason why you are here is because you either are working in the space or you have an interest uh, in this kind of space. So we also want you to to have an opportunity to to, to, to participate in, in this discussion. I'm going to start with uh, let me see. I'm going to start with yeah. Ah, I'll start with uh, Mr. Music. <laughs> Well, let's start with you. you. You've listened to what I've been uh, saying here, and, and as Baza, you probably have had this type of discussions before. And I, I would just want to hear what, what your take is on this topic. Thank Thanks. Thanks. I think you, you're probably right on, on a lot of counts. Um, um, what, what we found is that uh, money is not the issue. Uh, the issue is that there's a mismatch between uh, supply and demand. Um, as you rightly pointed out, um, the, the, more, the SMEs that are more successful in accessing funding tend to be the ones that are bigger. Uh, um, whereas at the lower end, then they start to start struggling. And that's, that's because um, that's because uh, the, the bigger SMEs tick all the right boxes in terms of funding from, from, from the banks. Um, they have, they have, they have the, the right structures in place. They have uh, their finances in, in place. They, they, they have a record they've been trading. Whereas um, at the lower end, uh, those difficulties in, 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 in pricing the risk. That's um because uh, I do want to uh, make a contribution at this point. Okay. So can you hear me? So I guess what, what Kuna didn't tell you is um, I started my first business sixteen years ago. And yeah, so I've had several businesses since then. That's when you were four. Thank you. <laughs> um so run several businesses on like a very small scale and just, you know, going through the process of just seeing what it takes to start something and get off the ground. And not, I was actually 16 at the time, um, but it was quite successful. I even invested my profits in old maturity fund at the time, in Zimbabwe, and it did quite well. I beat inflation. So um, yeah, it did sort of gave me a first um, insight into what it takes in a business. I, and I guess some of you know that I worked in banking for a while, and while I was there, I was moonlighting. <laughs> I started my, I guess, my current, um, I guess, medium-sized business about four years ago, and it's actually in uh, pharmaceutical um, repackaging and distribution, courier distribution, and 
it's sort of veered into infrastructure and healthcare and education, and now moving more into the manufacturing side of pharmaceuticals as well. So quite multi-pronged. And you can imagine it's a lot more capital intensive than doing like consulting work or selling handbags, you know, across you know different countries. Um, and it's been quite an interesting experience because our operations are in nine African countries at the moment outside of South Africa. The education operations are in, in South Africa. Everything else is, out, it's out, is outside of South Africa. And I guess you can imagine for a business that, um, well, one, the, there's the retail side, but then there's also the infrastructure side that working capital is, is a, it's a bit of a challenge. So we haven't had um, many problems as far as acquiring assets because we typically go into sweat equity arrangements and IP transfers, and that's helped us with the larger transfers. But then working capital, like for refurbishment of a hospital in the middle of Tanzania, you know, or setting up a repackaging manufacturing hub, you know, also in East Africa. That's quite capital intensive. And some, some time ago, I was still working at West Bank, um, so I couldn't be involved directly in the discussion. We decided, okay, it's time for us to raise funding. We can't keep selling our inheritance to get money. And we approached FMB. Well, our CFO and our chairman approached FMB. And I told them before they went, I was like, they won't give you the money. And these guys were like, why do you think they won't give you the money? And I was like, FMB doesn't think like that. They're not going to see the vision. They're not going to see what we're trying to do here and the impact we're having in these people's lives. It's just not going to happen. I work with these people every day. <laughs> it's not going to happen. There's a certain mindset that commercial banks have that um, just isn't well suited for African businesses that are starting from the ground up. Um, so around that time, um, I was doing my master's in development finance. Soon after I qualified, I decided to pursue that. And that really opened my mind as to how other, well, other professionals um, put together financing vehicles to be able to find projects like that, particularly large infrastructure projects that include railways, um, very long highways, things like that. And I think the mindset that exists in the development finance space needs to transition into the commercial banking space for Africa specifically. A lot of the rules that we've adopted from Bosnia and whoever else work halfway across the world. They do not work for our environments. So if you see a VC, I mean VC firms I think on a, at the moment to make returns of on average 40%. And at 40% you're actually not doing well. I mean, some some VCs are getting 10x return. Um, but look at a bank and they think like it's something to show off if they make 25% in a year. Um, there's a lot of money to be made that is being made by other people. So anyway, so specifically around this, I think based on my experience in business and seeing how people think within the bank, what I would say is that the mindset within banks needs to change. I'm not saying that the way they operate necessarily in terms of their P&L and balance sheet needs to change, but they need to think about how they support businesses to get to the point where they can then get involved. So I understand why we didn't get funding from FMB, but then they didn't provide any support. So if you think about it, local banks, or your FMBs, net banks, whoever else, they have direct contact with the SMEs on the ground. If you if you talk to any random person in a township about where they might think of going to get money, they're gonna mention the bank they bank with because that's what they know. They don't know about Sequoia and BlackRock and whoever's setting up which fund and angel investors in London. They don't know about those people, but they know their bank. But somehow banks are like, you know what, you're not at a stage where you can give your money in shots, and they send you off. So the reason why only nine out of 100 will make it is because mainly I think from, in terms of the supply side, I think it's, and I wouldn't call it ignorance, but it's just like lack of access to information and to the networks um, for you to be able to make some of those leaps to get to a point where a bank can give you um, the right funding. And then I think also there's a lack of information and knowledge from the bank side as to how do you set up special projects vehicles and think about 
projects outside of a PL and a balance sheet that present themselves in the moment. Um, because, yeah, I think there, there's lots of opportunities, but the mindset that exists within our commercial banks at the moment is not geared for the typical African business. Wow, uh, she threw a salvo there uh, to the banks, <laughs> so I think you guys need to defend yourself there, but please, please uh, defend yourself. <laughs> oh, agree. No, no, I'll go there. Um, take up the challenge of the conversation. I think what, what we would need to understand from you is your perspective from a banking side when you look at businesses. How do you think? What is the philosophy? I think from, and, I, and I'm not going to speak for all commercial banks, but I can certainly say from a net bank um, perspective, as far as um, our ability to fund SMEs and our support to SMEs, especially um, business owners that do not necessarily have access to information such as how you set up a company, etc. That type of information is available and for free. If I look at the Simply Biz um, community platform where both non-NetBank clients and NetBank clients can actually create profile, log in, engage with other business owners um, in terms of product offerings, etc. Banks are doing quite a bit to try and educate um, people, business owners, SMP owners that might have the entrepreneurial spirit and skill but not necessarily the financial acumen. However, a lot of the conversation has been around how do you identify the type of business that will make it. Now, um, I actually quite love the entrepreneurial spirit that you're showing because to a large extent you can have equal business plans and on paper everything looks exactly the same. However, it's about your business owner's entrepreneurial spirit and skill to actually make it work that, that really distinguishes between who's going to make it and who won't make it. And um, it's interesting that you're in the healthcare space, um, because if you look at Adcock versus Aspen in around 2013, and you compare them like for like, similar challenges in the business um, environment, um, similar um, things such as import costs affecting, um, affecting their product prices, etc. However, at that point, Aspen um, was making a whole lot of more revenue compared to Adcock. With very similar business plans, um, with some uniqueness around it, but it really came down to the management style at that point. But I think that is where this, as actuaries, as quants, as mathematicians, we try to look towards a model to solve something that's also a qualitative, uh, a qualitative aspect to the business. And that is where your relationship banking can actually help your SME um, by being involved within the business, um, being a decentralized model where you can actually have access to the, um, to the business and provide the necessary, um, the necessary support. Having said that, banks do take our salaries and invest it in clients. So prudent risk management practices, assessing risks remain important. So some of the key problems there is, never mind a balance sheet of income statement, is there actually a viable business plan? How does a business owner set up a business plan that a bank can actually look at and say, this could potentially be a good operating model to invest my depositors, in other words, my salary earners money into this 
discuss. That type of turnover actually support the type of funding repayment I'm asking for. So it's really about going back to business acumen and financial acumen. Now, so, that's, that's interesting. So Valentin, yeah, Valentin, you, you want to add to this perspective? Yes, I, yeah, I, I do want to add. So, so I, I was, I was busy as, 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 because uh, I was talking, I was just busy making notes in my head. <laughs> <laughs> we could see that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I think she, she mentioned, if I can, if I can maybe like summarize. She mentioned two, uh, three things that, that I can quickly, quickly recall. The first thing is. Um, banks don't understand the business. The second thing is that um, banks, in terms of large infrastructure projects, and I guess largely remote places, are unwilling to take take the risk. Um, and, and I think the, the third one, I guess, uh, as well, is is around um, I guess having that forward-looking view of where business is going to be, so looking at you know what what is achieved. But I, I'd like to say, to, for me, the, the answer to those, I guess, three high-level questions boils down to two things. And those two things, I guess, to a banker like me would be one, uh, risk, and the other one is cost. So risk being, uh, I guess, to, to, to Louise's point, uh, we've got, I guess, a responsibility as a, as a, as a commercial enterprise to, to make sure that um, we, we keep the business going don't, we, we unfortunately don't have the luxury of bailouts <laughs> to fall into trouble. Um, and, and therefore, uh, given that, we need to make sure that uh, at least our decisions are as certain as possible. So, so, so that, that plays into the, into, the risk, into the risk element. So it's not that, I mean, banks don't want to expand their balance sheet and improve on advances, but you, you always look at the credit, I guess, appetite of the business in terms of Okay, how much losses am I suffering in this particular line of business, and can I afford to incur more losses? Yeah. So that's the risk aspect. The second aspect is cost. So if you look at if you look at trying to assess individual businesses as they are, and looking at the potential that they have to actually grow into more viable businesses or big businesses, that takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort, and, and maybe it's something that. It's something where I think the banks, we as banks, need to rethink the model. Um, but it's, it's expensive resources that you are expending to try and understand and help entrepreneurs to build their businesses from being a startup to being, I guess, a multi-billion, multi-million brand entity. And that doesn't take an ordinary person. You need a highly qualified person who's going to spend many hours with the owners of the business, trying to help them through all the growth phases. and, and even if the idea is good, it all boils down to execution. So, so, so there are many good ideas, but there are very few well-executed ideas. That, that is a big challenge. And, and the execution largely doesn't lie in the advisor or ingredients. It really is an, uh, an intrinsic value of the entrepreneur. So I think the cost of actually providing hand-holding and all of that is quite massive, and, and it does eat into your I guess returns as, a, as an entity, um, and I guess maybe looking at a model that can help in, in that way. Maybe outsourcing could be a, a way of doing it. Um, outsourcing the responsibility to, to yeah. So, so, so I guess the, the, that mentoring. So much like what happens with uh, incubators. So, so, so if you partnering with incubators because incubators have got the resources, they are closer to the businesses, 
and, and, and if you look at many of the businesses that have gone through the, uh, the uh, a lot of your small business incubators, I mean, they, they have got a reasonably higher level of success than your run of the world businesses. So, so that model, for me, seems to be working, and I think we can, I guess, make make it more pervasive in the economy that we now. Fantastic. You said you would like to take us more So yeah, so thank you for your responses. And um, I think most people are aware of sort of the services that come from business banking. I think it's, yeah, it's, I think every bank has it too. It's quite common now. I don't think you can have business banking without those standard run of the most services. Um, but I think what we're discussing today is specifically around, so how do you get them to a point where you can put significant amounts of capital to use the business to take them to the next stage? And I'm just going to veer off for a moment on something that's not very actuarial, not very technical, but you've probably <coughs> been hearing and reading about it. It's been a long time coming. And I'm glad it finally happened. So you'll probably remember about, let's say, five weeks, maybe six weeks ago, 181 of some of the largest CEOs and um, the largest companies in the world signed um, sort of, I guess what they call it is, um, I guess, the statement of purpose for corporations. Yes, that's actually what I
whether it's partnering with incubators, whether it's calling Sequoia and saying, you know what, we hear that you have tons of money. VCs around the world are saying that they don't know where to put their cash. They, we, we live in a cash flush economy, global economy right now, and no one knows where to put their money. And then we say we have so many SMEs, and oh, all they need is to just get their books in order. Okay, so what are you doing about it? Because you know what, someone who's sitting in Silicon Valley, New York, or Toronto, or Beijing, doesn't know what happens on the ground here, and we have a responsibility to translate our world into a language, the, the global financial language you're talking about, the global business language that you're talking about, to bring that capital into our world. So, so let, yeah. let, let's let's put, let's because uh, yeah. it's like the, the banks are the ones on trial. I think we're all on trial. <laughs> <laughs> we're all on trial, um, including us as, 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 the, as, the, as the people that can enable some of these things. Um, the, the question is: so it would appear to me you've got a need and you've got money available. Some there are people who've got lots of cash sitting on it and they don't know how to invest. So something is required. And, and yes, there's a role that uh, the banks can play in that. But I, I think we should talk about what vehicles need to be set up um, to, 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 to solve this problem. Of lots of money there, big need here, but obviously no skills, no books, no words, and so on here. There's a problem that needs to be solved. Who needs to step up to do that? Um, and, and yes, I mean, the, the banks are already, in a sense, quite happy with their mandate and what they're doing. That creates room for somebody to come in. And um, what does that person look like? Um, what does that vehicle look like? And um, that can help solve this problem. So I think we can discuss that problem a bit wider than just the the, the, the role of the banks. I know Muzi, I don't know if you want to come in at this point. Yeah, I think one one of the biggest things around around the space is that uh, is that um, we don't have enough data. We don't, we don't have enough data to look at nuances uh, around, say, it's a sector or a certain size of uh, SME. Uh, we tend to classify SMEs as just plain, uh, as if they're the same. It, 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 is that something that everyone agrees yeah. with? There's, we don't have enough, uh, enough data on this? Also, not standardized definitions. So, in the one aspect, you would look at turnover, in another aspect, it would be the balance sheet size, and in another aspect, it's the number of employees. So, it's, a, it's different definitions would apply um, depending on who you speak to in terms of what is the SME, and then therefore your data collection is also quite disparate depending on how you define the SME. Who, who, so would, who would typically be involved or take the responsibility to collect the data? Uh, if you look at uh, uh, good case studies internationally, is there somebody, is there a country that, that, that is doing what we think we should be doing in terms of data and our understanding of, of, of the space? Uh, I think maybe not an international case study, but one of the conversations that I was having actually today uh, at work is around, uh, like, uh, for example, if you look at how consumer credit is regulated. So I'm going, I'm going to draw credit just to maybe explain that it's not the only way of funding SMEs, there's many other ways of funding SMEs, but I just want to talk about the credit piece, and, 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 and also that will address some of the, I guess, the data holes or data gaps that we have. So the first thing is, if you look at consumers, um, consumers are well regulated uh, by the national credit regulator, but we do not have a similar I guess, body that regulates uh, small business credit, especially. So we're bigger corporates, not an issue, 
if you've got audited financials, you, you know what the debt service cover ratio is. There's, there's, not, there's no way that um, um, R&B or, or um, uh, Standard Bank, CIP, or Net, Net Bank Corporate can go and overextend to a uh, first round or aspirin or whichever business it is, because they know, they know the financial standing of the business. But if you look at the small business sector, uh, if, you, if you look at a typical PTY limited that is not regulated under the NCR, that information on how much debt they have, what their commitments are, how much money they're making, is, is absolutely no way. Right? But if we take a consumer, if we take anyone here, and we say, give us your ID number, we can tell you, this is what, this is what your salary is, this is what your debt com commitments are, you can't give you credit. So if you take a, a business, any random business, small business that's operating, it's impossible to tell well, what's going, what, what the financial situation of that business is. That is a big problem. And, and, and what's happening now is <laughs> with a lot of, uh, I guess, fintech companies coming into, into the industry and, and, and basically trying to solve this problem of, of SME funding, we, actually the, the problem is, is being exacerbated. Why? Because previously if you had a few players, you, you could troll through the transaction history and see, oh, this guy has got a net bank uh, and, uh, vehicle uh, or asset finance. He also has a standard bank credit card. So therefore, I kind of understand what his commitments are. But if you've got like 20 other players in the, in the industry, all with like different ways of, of describing that transaction, it becomes increasingly difficult to understand the financial credit capacity of that business. So that, that, that for me is, we need a body that's going to regulate credit, that's going to regulate, I guess, even uh, I guess the, the rates that are being charged for credit. That's fine. Um, I need to go back to Muzi. Muzi, you were still on that point of, of data, but I got a sense that you needed to, you wanted to make uh, more points along those lines. Yeah, I think pretty much covered uh, it. Uh, I think also, yeah, we need, uh, we need uh, uh, sort of a body that will take responsibility for safe, safe for the credit data. I mean, we've been working with SACA. SACA used to be the uh, credit, uh, credit, uh, credit Providers Association. It's, it's now called SACA. It's been five years since we've been trying to put together the, uh, the, the semi-credit bureau SACA thing. Um, but because there's no champion and driver for that, it's been taking that long. So, I think what we're also missing is the role that government is to play in the space. Um, no one's pushing this, uh, so this one particular project. If, if there was commitment around uh, and a champion to push it, uh, by now we should have something that's touching. Yeah, so I think what, what, we, what uh, the banking uh, committee plans to do, uh, today this discussion was more for the private uh, sector to, to talk about this and, and, and highlight issues that then need to come to the attention of, of government. Um, there's an intention to have another one of these discussions um, with more of the government agencies here um, and to send a small business development um, department and to hear what their plans are and how they uh, look at some of the risks that, that, that we're talking about. So the issue of data, um, uh, the, the way you've addressed it or the way you're looking at it is more from the perspective of you know, credit worthiness, you know, uh, current exposure um, of, of the people that are talking to you. I'm wondering whether that's the full picture uh, of the kind of data that we, we need to be looking at um, 
and, and is there anything known? So, so maybe you want to share something along that. We've made a lot of notes on that issue. <laughs> yes. I So I understand the story from the bank's perspective that that's what they want to know, that's how their business is run, that's how they protect themselves, that's how they regulate it. But it goes back to you know what you're saying about how do I identify more businesses that we can invest in. And exactly to Valentine's point, you can't just always have a backwards moving approach. You need to look at what are they trying to achieve. And So you made the point about how it's not just about um, what's on the PL and the balance sheet, and it's about the entrepreneurial spirit, it's about the resilience of the business owner, um, sort of also a, a business owner's track record. It's, it's good to invest in someone who's run 10 businesses. They've seen a few things, as opposed to someone who's winging it for the first time. Um, you learn a lot of things, and life just humbles you, and you, you're, you're just generally more cautious as you go along. So things like that, I think, are important. But the challenge is that a lot of that additional data is often not structured. I mean, forward-looking, I mean, you can have your business plan, and people have their projections. All of my friends were in business and who've done extremely well for themselves. None of them had a business plan that they actually stuck to. If they had a business plan, it was just so to keep the bank happy. And it's like it's an open secret amongst entrepreneurs that business plans are a tick box exercise, and everyone knows that the script is going to change at least a hundred times before you get the end so of the line. They did not have a business plan. What so did they have? When they did have business plans, it was because they, yeah, okay. they had that, to keep that the bank. That's what I understand. So a business plan was not that important. That's what I'm yeah. getting to. Yes, so what I mean, was important for them? An idea that you're convinced will work. And that's not something you can quantify, that's not something you can convince someone else. It's, uh, again, it's not structured, I believe it it's unstructured. It's so which is, conviction. That yes, which is why VCs invest in people. They don't invest in ideas. If you know the story of Instagram, there was no Instagram. It was a completely different idea. And the night before they had to do the final pitch, they came up with Instagram, literally a bunch of pictures and people being able to show them to each other. And we have Instagram now. So someone being convinced that this will probably work. Some of the big fintechs that started off that got lots of funding that you know are sort of the, the unicorns of um, places like Shortage didn't have business plans. Um, but they got the kind of funding that they were able to, even pre-seed, seed round, series A, because people were like, wow, okay, you're really convinced about this, and you're going to leave your job and be completely committed to this thing until it works. Um, so, again, probably not the best space for a bank that is tightly regulated and that needs to still satisfy its shareholders and protect, I guess, that has a very big responsibility in the larger economy. But if businesses, okay, I think for me, if banks are going to position themselves to become then investors in a series B or C or D, they need to understand how businesses are functioning at a pre-seed, seed, seed, A, I mean, round A, um, round B. So, so it's more about the IP. They can continue to operate where they are operating. Yes, but they need where to. Where people already have 10 over and so on. Yeah. They just need to upskill in understanding what happens at the Sort of the forum phase. Yes. And, and then do what? With, with kind of so let me actually share something with you. One of um, one of my lecturers last year during the MBA, um, he headed up um, one of the big investment banking divisions who've been Goldman Sachs for, I think, about 15 years. And he was sharing sort of where it's going and the type of people that they're hiring now. It's still in its early days, but investment bankers will look very different 10 years from now. 
And the reason being, they're starting to understand that it's not good enough to hire someone who just knows how to build a financial model or who can speak credit, speak <laughs> credit language. They are starting to hire people with some level of business knowledge and some level of industry expertise. So if you're gonna come and you're gonna be an investment banker in the pharmaceutical space, you can no longer now come cold for. Like you need to actually have worked in some kind of business, run a business, worked in that specific industry. And it's because they realize that it's quite important, particularly if you want to be an activist, sort of hedge fund, for example, um, for you to understand how businesses run, because you sit at a very delicate space between investors and the company. So they're starting to recognize that they have a pivotal role to play if they're going to actually effect some of the changes they want to see. So I think it's more about maintaining an open mindset. And again, in terms of how you translate it into an Excel spreadsheet, yeah, I, I don't think that actually exists. But building that IP within your people, and I think the core, I guess, to actuaries is that an actuary is just an actuary is just an actuary. You're not actually going to be relevant and valuable um, in whichever business you're in if you don't have wider knowledge of the space you're working in. So if you're working in business banking, you might want to learn something about how the businesses are run. Yeah. So, so what, what, what I need, want to challenge us uh, to do, looking at South Africa and its experience and, and the experience that you have in South Africa as well. Let, let's talk about what is working in that space. So the space I'm talking about is that one between the money and the problems. And what is working? Earlier on you mentioned that the incubators uh, seem to be getting something right. You may have examples that you, you can talk about of a specific incubator and, and maybe the knowledge that you have of how they operate um, that, that improves that 9 to, to, to 15 or to 20 and so on. Can we talk about that? Do we have uh, pockets of excellence um, in South Africa of solving this problem that we have? Yes, I do, but I, I'm not sure if, 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 I need to, if I want to mention names though. <laughs> Yeah, I think, can I just, maybe... Okay, so you still look to be a team. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I do quite, I do know quite a few, and, and, and the reason why I don't want to mention it is because some of the incubators are backed by FNB, some of them are backed by our competitors, etc. So each one of them have got some bank that's backing them, so I don't want to encroach each other because territory. But that, 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 that model has been working well. I'll tell you, I guess, uh, of, I mean, one of, one of the businesses that we've funded actually is probably like a service that you know many of us now are using and they've been incredibly successful. They, they've even gone on to raise funding from, from the US uh, in, the, in terms of their, 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 their um, uh, plans are concerned. And, and there's many, many other examples that I've seen. But I, I, want, to, I want to go back to the, the problem that you mentioned around um, or what I want to call innovative business interface. So, 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 so now, now we're no longer talking about uh, these tech type businesses that you and I can relate to. We are now talking about businesses that serve the most basic of needs in the economy and, and, and how those are being funded. And, and one of the things that you and I may not know is there's a lot. There's been a lot of activity in that space. I guess some of the banks have actually uh, stepped in to help. Um, but if you, if you go to if you go to township business, right? If you go to township business and you try and understand how those businesses work, I mean the hair salons that are there, the taverns, the spaza shops, and, and how those businesses are funded, there's actually quite some some interesting work that's going on there around how you can actually start 
first of all, measuring the activity, the levels of activity, of economic activity that's happening there by some sort of record keeping and knowing, okay, how much training is going on there. And then also being able to, I guess, come in with a level of finance. And finance, not in the sense that you give someone 2,000 rand into their bank account and say, well, let's go and build your business, but more understanding that you are in the hairdressing uh, uh, industry, you need chemical one, two, three, and four to run your business. We are going to make sure that you get that conveniently and you are able to do some trading and then you, you repay the, the, the money that's required and then the cycle continues, right? So so you, you, you take up you take the profits and then you reinvest some some of it into buying more of your supplies. And and, and there's like a whole I guess uh, supply chain that's been built around that. And and that for me is working well. And, and the reason why it's working well is because um, I guess to, to what Kudzai uh, was saying is is that level of immersion in terms of understanding what does this business actually do? What is what is the day-to-day -day struggle of this business? Where can I actually step into help? Right? And, and, and that's why I say if, if, if banks were to employ an army of people to go into um, all the different types of businesses in China, understand this, it'll be impossible to govern. But if you if you try and say, look, we know, uh, let's say, uh, Macro, for example, or Unilever uh, knows that 80% of product A is actually being used by a certain segment of people. Then they can go in there and, 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 and do some field work and say, how can we help these people to build their business? I mean, Unilever has done it, Coca-Cola has done it, uh, Macro has done it, and there's a lot of other examples of, uh, I guess, businesses that have actually gone into, stepped into that low, very, very low, uh, I guess, survivalist type of business and really help them to to build and to grow. Uh, and some of them are being backed, obviously, by, by, by some lenders to ensure that uh, they're not in, in visual. I think, I think I want us to delve a bit into that type of model. I think you, you, you're raising very interesting things because I can, I'm, I get excited because I can see the grassroots impact there. Um, and so, so I know, I remember just, uh, you know, the story of Ahmed Mashaba with the, what's, what was his brand again? The like, like Me. Like Like Me. And, and how in the townships, you know, that was the thing, you know, and uh, distributing those type of products. And I mean, in that space, you can speak of the herbal lives of this world, and you know, uh, the, the, the sort of a, a more product-driven business that then goes into the into the grassroots, and you have, you, you, you see um, people, and also just the the telcos, uh, selling of airtime. So 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 there are these examples, and and I guess maybe the question is, what are the factors here? And when we talk about those things that I just mentioned, now, what are the factors here? Um, what 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 makes these type of models work? I think that is something that we need to understand because when we spoke about data and understanding data and so on, we said, you know, the, the understanding of which sector is doing well or, you know, the profile of the sectors that have the potential uh, to work for South Africans. And uh, what are those? Um, I mean, the issue of spaza shops is an interesting one because essentially South Africans have been crowded out of that space um, by, by entrepreneurs that are really, they, they, they know what they're doing in that space. They're capital. I mean, I don't know what their margins are. They're, they're probably like a few cents. Uh, but they, 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 they run it and they, they, that's what they do. Um, they, it's, it's inbuilt in them. They make it work. And, and I guess if we're not looking at uh, who comes from where, uh, that would have been a very interesting space for the banks. Really. Um, how the 
Somalians or the, the Ethiopians, how they make these puzzle shops in, in the remotest of areas um, to work the, 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 the way they do with the kind of activity. Um, I want us to, to, to delve a little bit maybe into these type of models. To a remote plaza shop type environment. Um, but if we take, a, I'm so, sorry, I, I enjoy going back into history to learn from you know, some of the events that happened. But um, again, back to healthcare, which is quite close to me, my dad's a pharmacist, um, retired now. So when studying to become a pharmacist, your first point was you're going to open your own pharmacy. You weren't going to work at a clicks in a pharmacy, it was an entrepreneurial spirit where you would then employ four or five people. Your seed funding would not come from a traditional bank. It would come from um, South African druggists, Goldstein. And it was very easy to get funding even at points where interest rates were 29%. But it wasn't banks funding these startups with depositors. It was venture capitalists willing to put up the necessary capital whilst also being the wholesalers of the, of the product. So some of the arrangements there is something like, yes, we'll fund you, but you need to buy 80% of your product from us. So closing that loop between the supplier of the product into the business, where you buy your product from, and banks who then go and fund SA druggists, or a gold scheme, which is a much larger corporation with a, um, a solid balance sheet income statement from which you can invest a depositor's money into. So it's really about how do we attract those types of wholesalers into the country that want to invest in these types of businesses from seed, angel investing, venture capital, because you are essentially putting capital at risk. And banks have a very big responsibility to ensure we protect depositors. There's no question about that. Whereas your venture capitalist is willing to put capital at risk. And that's, that's the only strong. thing that they take that, that would have just. So it's how do we attract, as a country, from a policy perspective, from the view to the world, that there's business here, come invest, come invest in SA Inc., if you will. So it seems to me, and, and that's what I want to delve with, in, as an HR, you want to see what's the common denominator here, what, what are the factors, what, what, what am I learning here? So in the space where you've got a wholesaler, you've got somebody who's got some money that they're willing to, to risk because there is a benefit for them. Uh, they get to sell more of their products, more of their they products. They're locked into that value chain as well. They're locked into the value chain. I will fund you, yes, but you need to buy 80% of your product from us. So already they've got their margin locked in. So the funding that happens there is really not putting, again, your depositor at risk, but it's putting capital at risk. If there is a default, the wholesaler will go immediately extract their product from, from said business. And they also have that um, very deep level of knowledge in a specific a specific. Segment. Because in a sense, they are collecting data on those retailers. Yes, because they've, I think one pharmacy, for example, filed, there's 50 more that they're financing from a capital perspective and locking in those more. In other words, there's also diversification. Yes, so it's the whole portfolio that they're looking at. Exactly. So it's a, it's, a, it's a different funding model to just looking for banks to solve a funding problem, but there's certainly a lot of um, support that banks can provide. True. In, environments like this at the moment. So there's also the other side of the coin where, again, in those environments where there were 29% interest rates, access to funding was not a problem. You could 
easily get 50,000 Rand to finance a pharmacy where you could buy it for 35,000 Rand. Okay. So access to funding wasn't the problem. The problem was too much access to funding without the necessary, necessary the business support in how to make a turnover into an EBITDA, into something that actually makes a profit. And I think that is quite changed in, in the South African context. Banks do a lot to educate. There's a lot of information available, but it also comes with access to information. Okay. If you look at the Singapore environment, data is cheap, electricity is on at all times, and public transport works. So if you look at that from what could make it SME successful, it is those, can I actually access my clients on the digital platforms where clients actually come together, business and clients come together? Is it cheap for me to do so? Do I have the necessary access to educate, given the new world we're living in? So there, there are barriers uh, of entry or just things that, um, that make it difficult to operate. And, and some of those things are, are things that we raise when we, we speak with the government. But I think from, from where we are, we, we need to have a sense of which sectors of our economy uh, could similar types of models or, or, or any other kind of model that can have a sort of massive impact. And um, that, that is something that I think we need to challenge ourselves to, to, to think about. Um, mostly, uh, not mostly, uh, yeah, mostly using to as well as make contribution. Uh, yeah, there's uh, uh, so much you get when we, when we have to deal with the banks and that, but you get them together in a room and you have to ask them questions, they don't want to talk or they don't want to, <laughs> they're so competitive, they don't want the other to know what they're working on. So it's difficult. There's a lot of stuff that they're doing, but they don't get to share because. Yeah, <laughs> because they, <laughs> they don't want to let the cat out of the bag before they see if it works or not. Um, mm -hmm. or not. So, um, and to lead that to the data part, um, we found out that I don't know, there's, there's uh, 2 million SMEs in, in South Africa, former SMEs. In fact, I think it was 2.3 in 2008, it's 2 now, so it's, it's, it's in decline. Uh, so, and in that decline, when we looked at the figure, we saw that agriculture is, is actually growing. Agriculture is growing? Yeah. Okay. Um, so we asked the banks why why, why that, that's the case. They said, no, it's off a low base, that's why it's growing. But they don't want to say what they're doing in agriculture. <laughs> <laughs> Are they doing something? It seems that they're doing something. It's, um, the one thing that I picked up uh, around enterprise development is that they are now talking to their corporate uh, clients uh, to support enterprise development uh, stuff. So they talk to a pick and pay would support some black farmers um, and guarantees some offtake from the black farmers. So in the back of that, the banks that do work around that. So, so these things are, are sort of interlinked. Hey, Mara, you do want to share that? <laughs> That's the question that I was asking to understand such initiatives and you are keeping it to yourself. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah but they, so they want to let the cannabis back down. Uh -huh. This is what they want. So. Be because, I mean, that's the kind of thing, that's the that is the question that I'm asking. What are the kind of vehicles, what are the type of arrangements that can work in South Africa? So I think, Muzi, you, you are sharing something with them. Very, very, very but strong. that's the thing, that we don't have the data that would, would give us those things. No one's collecting the data. 
So in terms of the, the data collection, because obviously I think actuaries get excited when they hear data, uh, because <laughs> we are that way inclined. Who, who does anything remotely? Who are the people that are involved in doing research on SMEs and, uh, and, and that? I mean, do we have agencies that, you know, you know this is the go-to? So this is South African, in, uh, South African School Business Institute. Um, they actually have a wealth of uh, information and papers that they release on um, the kinds of things that, that affect SMEs. So they talk around regulatory aspects, um, Labor laws, um, you know, types of red, the cost of red tape that the SME can actually go to. But in terms of data, I seen data specifically, but they do have a lot of research reports that they do release on that. I wouldn't say it's their responsibility, but it is a, and such so I found quite helpful in terms of looking at research. So, do they do what is that? Is it more for a sample approach? Um, they're going sample in a certain area and they don't know. I'm not quite sure about this exact um, mechanisms and methodologies, but they would also take a lot of World Bank information in other countries compared to sort of the South African environment and what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. It really depends on the topic and the discussion, but I would definitely say that is a good resource um, in terms of um, what is relevant for SEEs and small businesses in South Africa. So, so back on this issue of data, um, I want to understand then what, how, could, how could that problem be solved? I mean, we have some research money that we don't do much with and we should be doing something with. If one were to set up a project and say, look, here's 300, 400,000, um, you know, as a start, what are the kind of things that can be done? What, what's the kind of data that uh, would be useful? So I think, I think as a start, and this is a tricky one, right? So you, you heard, I think Kuzai, Kuzai is a good example of, of the challenges that we face in the bank. She started off as a retail pharmacist for you, you know, well, not, not, not quite the age, but more like retail pharmacy, then there's education, and then there's the manufacturing piece. So if, 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 if we're to ask today, what is this business, what, what industry is this business in? We'll say, okay, pharmaceuticals, okay, that's like the high level. So we, we, well, the banking sector, we've got what you call um, uh, industry classification codes. Mm -hmm. right, so you would say, okay, there's five levels of classification, say in pharmaceuticals, but then now it gets to, I guess, binary options where you say, are you in education, are you in retail, are you in manufacturing, and then that's where the whole thing falls flat on its face, right? So, 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 so that's the challenge that we face. So we may know, okay, you're doing something pharmaceutical, but you actually don't know whether you're a manufacturer, a distributor, uh, or you are, I guess, a constructor, or whatever the case You have an outdated questionnaire. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. So, so, so that's, yeah. It's, it's outdated, but it's also quite tricky, even if you're outdated. Yeah. Actually, can I just quickly touch on, on that, and also touch on what you said? So on the issue of collecting data um, with these binary variables, a lot of people are actually operating their businesses across the supply chain. That's actually what the basis, how we started our business. We were like, you know what, people are getting, I'm trying to find the PC term, people are getting cheated <laughs> of, of their money, um, whether it's government negotiating for drugs, whether it's the repackaging costs. So how do we step in and we started off with just courier distribution, but that allowed us to gain the knowledge about where do you procure from and when you're packaging, what are the real costs and then what are the costs of taking the stuff across borders. And then we learned about that and then that put us in a position where we could now have start having discussions about, okay, what does it actually mean to manufacture pharmaceuticals? Turned out for most people it's not actually manufacturing and 
repackaging are actually the same thing for most people around the world. But then if you look at a business like ours, you'll be like, they don't know what they're doing, they're not focused. That's what most people said, but that's how people are solving business problems today. That's how you bring down the price of drugs. It's not just about fighting with Edgar or Pfizer or Walsh or whatever. It's also all the costs that are in the supply chain. So the, again, it goes back to understanding the things around the business. And quickly, while I'm on supply chain, so in terms of, so you talked about disruption, how it's not just banks that need to do it. And I guess my question, and it's largely rhetorical, is are banks comfortable to be disrupted and to be knocked off as the financiers of, um, of preference? And I ask that because GE Capital, Group 5, they've been funding hospitals for as long as I can remember. Hospitals? Yeah, healthcare institutions and a lot of healthcare funds. Because in their minds, they're like, you know, if we give you the money to build your hospital, we know that people are going to come to this hospital. They do their own feasibility studies. It's the same way if you want a petrol station. The Shell isn't just giving you a franchise. They already know. They, you do your feasibility study. They also do their feasibility study. So they know that traffic passes by there. So when GE Capital gives you that money, or when Group 5 gives you that money, they know they're getting their money back. How they're actually managing their finances in-house is a different story from sort of what's happened in those two companies. But they've been doing that for a long time. So I think, uh, I just want to, don't forget all your thoughts, because uh, I was going to make sure to But <laughs> um, that, that, I think you're, you're raising another, you're adding to this sort of the models that I'm looking for. The, the GE example that you're giving, the Shell and, and those guys that they want, uh, yes, there's an individual there or a group of people that want to open a special station there. And they, yes, there's traffic there and they can attest to that and therefore they'll give them the money to actually stop. I mean, even KFC operates in that case. Yeah. Those, those franchises. So banks, are, banks are not actually funding a lot of SMEs that are successful out there. Um, it's, it's people within the supply chain. So I can promise you that finance, so, and I'm speaking from the healthcare finance perspective, is going to be disrupted by retail companies and pharmaceutical companies and hospital groups in the next five to 10 years. The funding will not come from banks. They haven't invested the time in learning about the industries and the potential of them. And also these companies want to lock in the supply chain, both the money to be made from, I guess, investing. In the so, so I guess the question I can ask uh, is that with the knowledge that we have here, um, which sectors or which areas are ripe for that kind of disruption? Um, uh, or there is potential. Uh, maybe maybe the wholesalers um, uh, uh, in that space are, are not yet woke, and 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 there needs to be that uh, uh, sort of lobbying work, or, or you know, uh, for them to hey, look at this um, in that sector or in that country. This is what has worked. You maybe need to structure the way you operate in this way because there can be a win-win. You're going to be now getting into your market. Then you're going to have some guarantees there because then you know your market is there, and you're going to be uplifting some people in that, in that market. Do we have a sense of where maybe people are not are still uh, sleeping, and 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 then they probably maybe need to to wake up? Is there such? I mean, the pick and pay one, the Woolworths one, and so on, I think that was a good one. I think the, some of the banks caught on to that, and it seems to be working. So I would be interested to find out, and, and I think it would be good to profile some of these things and talk about them and showcase the, the success rates. Uh, uh, because, yes, if your market is secure and, and you get funding upfront, you have solved some of the biggest challenges that there's in space. All that then needs to happen is for a guy to just wake up every morning and go and, and farm and keep away the, the pests and, and whatever. That, that's simply what it is. 
and manage the cash flow. You can, sorry, you can actually have access to all of those and, not and, still, mess and still mess up by not managing the cash flow. That is where the, the post funding support is so important. And the question is, are, are banks ready to be disrupted? There's no question that banks have to position themselves in a space where they can be disrupted and still provide the South African economy with the necessary financial services. But certainly, I mean, you can go to a time bank, and if you can buy an open account within half a second. So challenging even the innovation from the traditional banks in terms of online platforms, etc. So yes, there's certainly disruption in the market. And I do believe that as, um, if I can call it the big five banks in South Africa, we do take our responsibility very seriously to support growth in the South African economy and providing <coughs> necessary financial financial services. But it is, in the end of the day, the first question that was asked, who is responsible for making sure that SMEs are successful? And I actually pose that question to a lot of my colleagues and just to see different responses. And nobody said it's the entrepreneur's responsibility too. Everybody would say it is the regulator, it is banks funding, but in the end of the day, you also bank on the jockey, and if the jockey shows that they are winning the race with your support, you will bank on that jockey again, and it's a self-fulfilling self -fulfilling prophecy. Um, so, so, so on that one, the jockey, because at the end of the day, it boils down to the jockey, right? You will um, have success in every single segment in, in the economy, and there will be failures in every segment. It's about the jockey, the jockey. and their plan and where so, they So then, then let's look at our profile as South Africa and our people in the education system and all the um, Is it possible to have more investable um, jockeys? Um, and, and what would need to be done in that space? And do we understand that space well enough? I, I don't think it's possible. So, so I, I, I don't like to think of it so much as lack of formal education, but I guess more of exposure. Right? The more exposed people become, the more, I, I, I think, I think. I mean, my, my colleagues here have been humming on it uh, the whole time, is experience, uh, there is no substitute for it, right? You, you can get someone who's never been to school, but because of the experience that they've built, because of the willingness to win that they have, they can be extremely successful, right? Way more successful than even, I guess, formal people who like to, I guess, because also, I mean, the one thing that you you will, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm a banker, but I also, you know, uh, have experience in some sort of education. But you, you really have to, there's this term that they call bootstrapping. You really have to be. Experiment. Yeah, you really have to be able to. Would you still in the To 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 create. Opportunities where opportunities actually don't exist as an entrepreneur, and, th and that doesn't come with any formal education. Right? You need, just need to box smart, if I can call it that. I, I want to, I want to hear the audience. The audience and, uh, so 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 can you, I just uh, mention something else? Yes. Yeah. Before, before, because there's something that I wanted to just say regarding the data collection. So one of the things that maybe some of the institutions have failed at is. Is, is, is that aspect of collecting data. So we, 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 we kind of like rely on the Small Business Institute as, I guess, the, 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 the data source. But I think there's a lot that can be done. There are a lot of resources. So for example, um, if you look at what the DTI is doing. So the DTI has got small business development offices all around the country. And these people touch, each one of them touch at least 20, 30 businesses that they have under their arm and they 
give them trading, marketing, accounting, all of that. And that can be a very, very good source of data that the bank can use. If, if, if that data were to be honest and presented to because financial institutions and say, guys, here are the banks, here are the development offices that look after them. I aim to do something with them. That partnership can create something really powerful. And if, if we could have something, I mean, I know ASA collects uh, data on mortality statistics for all of Southern One cannot have, because ASA, the banking arm of the collecting data on small businesses, you know, all around the country, all types of data that we need. Well, it can be financed. We'll put some seed capital there, and then you can top up. Because I know banks like to top up. They like to come at the top. They want somebody else to take the risk at the bottom. And I understand that that, that, that this is not But we can definitely look at that. We, we can definitely look at that. Even in my budget, I've got some money for, for, for things like that. So we can definitely look into that. Any any questions, inputs from, from, the, from the audience here? We only have a couple of minutes left. Your name and where you're from. Hi, my name's Gareth. I'm, I'm not a banking actuary, I'm a pensions actuary. Um, but I just started two companies. Uh, one is a pensions consulting firm that's no capital and that's going quite nicely. I started a second company in the FMCG market. And man, life's going. So we, it was three years of development. We got the product right, the product is good. Um, now I need the funding for marketing because I've realized marketing is key to this, this, this equation and every avenue I've gone down it's so what's your turnover been like? Alright, okay. Um, and where you in, what contracts have you got signed? And and it's just closed door after closed door after closed door and I don't know where to turn really to so so I guess my my learning from this is um, there doesn't seem to be an easy way to access capital. So if you say the money's out there, I can't find anybody who's willing to give me any of it. Um, but perhaps maybe the banks or, or perhaps someone could work on some sort of way to introduce the, the business okay. owner, connect the business owner to the to the, to the capital. Because <coughs> I'm, I'm relatively educated and I can't sure. find the... You're relatively smart. I just can't find the access into the right... The so right what's the hope of the guy with the exactly. optometric? Exactly. So, so how does he... You know, I've gone to VCs, I've gone to... I haven't approached banks, but it sounds like I stand to a chance. No, <laughs> yeah. so that's fine. But uh, how do we connect business owner who doesn't really understand how to access capital uh, with, with the guys who have the money. And that's, that's I'm yeah. seeing the, the gap there between the two. There's different okay. Any other contribution from uh, the audience? Any contribution? Uh, we, we, we deal with the, the, the point. I think that's a very interesting one. Yes, an educated person who has run a business successfully, which was a low sort of say low entry business because he had to study for many years um, but, but it's a bit easier to succeed in that yeah, capital capital less intensive I guess um, uh, but now it's going into something that requires a lot more capital you, you need to work with partners there and, and there is the struggle um, so how does one deal with that um, yeah so I think that, that will then in a way is, a, is our, our as our last point and maybe you guys want to tackle that one any of you? I think Muzi wants to. I think it's fine. Yeah, because like you can take it offline. Yeah, I think they're interested in me. They're like, yeah, probably won't solve your problem. But there's a, we did a study looking at various tools. Various phase 
identify financial institutions to, to fund the university. And, and, and that mismatch came through. So uh, it was a program that was funded by um, USA. So they started developing a platform that would collate all, all uh, SME products in, into one space. It was then handed over to a, an entrepreneur who ran it. It's called FinFi. I think they have about 400, 400 uh, products on, on the platform. So you get in, you register, you say what you want, which sectors you want, and then it gives you options. So that sort of makes it easier for the SME to find find possible possible financing solutions in one place. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. And, and it is this type of uh, initiatives that, that, that we need to encourage. Okay, um, this is me taking my excellent banking chair hat off and my actuary hat off and my former banker hat off, all the hats off and just as an entrepreneur trying to raise money. You know what they say, your network is your network. You'd be surprised how much time entrepreneurs spend in raising money. Like after you have a product, you can easily spend two years trying to raise money. And that's not necessarily just about like sending emails to all the VCs and whoever else and angel investors. It's like getting to know people who introduce you to the next person. Um, like just getting people to vouch for you. And it can take two years to get to the person who's finally like, oh, he knows Bob, who knows Jill, who knows Sam, who knows whoever, who went to school with whoever's kid and they say he's legit. Um, so my advice is just keep putting yourself out there and meeting people. And that requires a lot of time investment. And you know, sometimes like so, I also run my own consulting business, and it's doing extremely well. It's the thing that pays the bills while I'm trying to raise hundreds of millions of rand for random things. Um, so people ask me why I do it, and I'm like, because it can take three, four, five years to raise the amount of money required to make this thing happen. I believe in it. I'm willing to wait for five years, but I need to eat in the five years, and I like nice things, so can't go hungry yet. So my advice is get in front of people who know other people with lots of money. Um, <laughs> like network the hell out of it. Like get on a plane and go to that random angel investor like event in New York. Go to London for you forever. If you find out that the FMCG VC people are meeting in Stockholm, get on a plane and get to go Stockholm and spend the weekend with them. It's at least good I can get on the plane, man. So that is good. It's a private show. It's <laughs> never in the country. <laughs> So I think, I think you, you, you um, were touching on something that I, I thought we were, we were going to mention, and that is the role. So, so we often think of the role of government as providing money or uh, I don't know what kind of support, but I, I think there is something that we neglect infrastructure. So you, and, and when we think small businesses, we're thinking, okay, we are in Khalkeh, we're thinking of someone who's opening KFC at the Mall of Africa. Actually, you've got someone in some remote corner of the country who's you know, just like the gentleman, they've got a great business idea. They don't have cell phone signals. They don't have broadband infrastructure. They've got no way of knowing what's going on in the world. And they've got no way of telling the world what they're capable of. So in terms of, I guess, infrastructure development, that's a very, very key, uh, I guess, component of actually, of actually helping small businesses to grow. Because, I mean, something as simple as connectivity. So if you are connected, you're able to, uh, I guess, get information and you're able to send information about yourself to I guess, potential buyers and potential finders as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, trust me, someone right now who's sitting in um, 
was wäre Ihre Informalanlage? Herr Scott, no cooking crew, how does it actually practice a lot of the work? That we're talking about here. Yeah. No, no, definitely. And those are the challenges. Uh, uh, the, the, the jockeys, uh, you know, we, uh, I mean, at the end, we're saying, how do you raise these jockeys? You know, to have more jockeys that, that can, can succeed. <coughs> um, I think my last point comes to, um, also a little bit of a, I'm a little bit of a mean addict. Um, and so I think it comes back to, um, I'm so glad for all the trigonometry. Um, I did at school to help me in trigonometry season that's coming up. <laughs> and the joke around that is that, you know, what do we teach the youngsters coming through, the, through schools in terms of, you know, what does it look like to be an entrepreneur and set up a successful business as opposed to somebody that goes out of the schools a large corporation to create jobs. So we already said that how the African economy is really built on small um, to medium enterprises. Yes. So in some African context, we've got a very strong formal formal um, sector that everybody's looking towards to provide the solution. So it's really about teaching our, our, our children how to be entrepreneurs and yeah. setting those, those types of examples. So you actually want to own your own business as opposed to yeah. you know, have a job at a company. Yeah. We have a joke right. in South Africa, people like to work, work for the white man. So <laughs> that has been, so, so it's part of our history that has sort of, you know, and killed the spirit. Yes, but now you re-energize yeah. the spirit. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's where the challenge really is. You know, having those influences within the schools to create that awareness of, this is it, you can actually do this for yourself. Yeah. I mean, if I were to use it, growing up in Venda, uh, we used to have guys, uh, women especially, from Zimbabwe coming to sell Amadoy uh, in, in, in the home. They would be gone for months. Uh, we didn't know that they were taking these ones to schools, good schools and so on, so these ones are, are now here working. Um, it, it's that type of thing. So we, 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 we grew up experiencing the entrepreneurial spirit amongst uh, uh, our, our brothers from, from Zimbabwe. And you can see with the nation, different nations from, from the rest of Africa here, you can see that, that acumen. In books, in, it's almost like in the culture. You see it in the Indian culture as well. You see that you know they, they make things work, um, and and uh, I guess you see it in the Zulu culture in terms of the taste of business as well. So I mean, you you have pockets in different areas, and and I think understanding those. When I say profiling, that's what I mean. What are the kind of things that people can be good at? And once somebody said, no, you know, African people, the ones that you have in Africa, the brown people, they are originally they are farmers. It's just that they got their land dispossessed and, and so on. And, and I see with my, my father, the his generation, they're now they were, most of them were teachers. They're now retiring. And when they retire, they go to the farm. That, that's, it, so it means that, that that's the thing that they were built with. But they couldn't do anything about it. So they had to take education and they had to do that for 40 years. And now they want to return to their passion. And they do it more it was as a, a pastime than, than anything. So we need to understand our people. And what is it that these people can sort of more naturally do and, and, and you know, uh, sort of guide them into that? So agriculture, I think, uh, provides quite a big opportunity for South Africa. Um, and, and it's something that needs to be uh, looked into. But obviously, there are many other opportunities. I think we, we discussed many issues. Um, the, the, the issue of data and the need for data that, that has been raised. And um, Muzi, you want to have uh, uh, the last words before I close? Yeah, yeah, I think we need to understand uh, the profile of SME in this country. And the profile of the jockeys. Yeah, yeah. But largely the SME is because uh, you, you would support the jockey based on 
really fought. Um, it's a philosophical thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a philosophical thing. The reason why I'm interjecting is that they seem to be suggesting there should be more of a focus on the jockey than where he's at. But, but yeah. Maybe there's, there's already a focus on the jockey. So, so let, let me introduce something else. We, we have about 5 million or 6 million SMEs, that includes informers and survivors. We have 2 million informers. And the, the rest, uh, 80, 80 something percent or 80 percent is informed. Of those ones that are informed, we also have another 2 million that have substantial uh, turnovers, but they choose to be informed. <coughs> Therefore, why they choose? Oh, I'm tense, so. So those ones, they probably need access to funding to grow, but yeah. they choose to be informed. And you're not going to get that, that funding. Do we know how um, do we do we know how black people bought taxes in the past in, in the beginning the tax industry? Do we know how they purchased those taxes? Do you know? Yeah, no, this is new. But uh, back in thirty years ago, how did they get money to buy taxes? I always wondered about that. Did they save until they could buy another one, or did they find funding from somebody? I think that is an interesting one. Do you know the answer? I know the answer, but I, I, I won't say because it's been recorded. <laughs> um, but I will say to your point, and also to what you said about agriculture and how that's inherent, a lot of these things is just what you know. It's just education. Trust me, for all the actual education I have, I did that honors, masters, then I did another masters, there's a fellow, all of that. Then I did another masters in something completely different. I still did not have a clue what pre seed seed series A, B, C, D, what all of that meant until. I was thrown into a very sort of Western environment of, of entrepreneurship. And that was sort of as the business was growing and then soon after that then I spent time in the UK and spent a lot of time with people who were coming from the Far East and the Far West who were doing exactly that. But it took me going that far out of my world. And I'm considered probably over-educated for any job I've ever had. But so a lot of these things is what are you exposed to? Exposure. So, so even like in terms of formalizing your business, it's not straightforward. Ask any average actuary on the street, they don't know. They don't know. As far as agriculture, that's all you know. I can't start a fintech if I don't know anything about fintech. What is a fintech? But then once I know about fintech, I'm like, oh, okay, so that's uh, that's Spazas, shop of ours, or that's what do you call them? Where we put money together. Stockville. Yes, we call them rounds. Yes, the Stockville. Yeah, I mean, once I was exposed to that space, they like. The ideas just they they moved up like quantum leaps. Was they I literally leapfrogged in terms of what I was able to create mentally. But that's because I was exposed to something new. So the the idea that as Africans we're inherently only good at agriculture, that's the thing we're gonna just because that's all we that's know. all we know. That's all we've been exposed to. If you show them a thing or two, that do you know what actually happens in Silicon Valley? They send people to underdeveloped countries. To, they'll send them to the harshest economic environment to come up with ideas. Uber, the idea for Uber, that's why it came out of Zimbabwe. They send people to crowdsource ideas. They, they live in our environments and see how can we solve this problem. And then they put them in the Western world and become billion dollar companies. They become unicorns overnight. Off of our challenges and how to solve problems in our environments. But again, that's exposure. They, they're exposed to tech, they're exposed to the psychology around funding and their side of the world, how people think of money. It's, 
it's just a lot of it is around exposure and information. And I think that's, that's going to be so critical if we're going to see unicorns come out of South Africa and not just, not, not just SMEs. And, I, and the reason I mention that is because I think there's a rhetoric as well around SMEs that is dysfunct and that could put us in a tricky situation from this time. Again, very philosophical. We need to be able to set SMEs up for success in the long term. I have a friend who's a billionaire. And she will not grow beyond a certain point, but she's like, it'll make it, it'll make it harder for me to raise funding from government, whatever, whatever, whatever. But she's able to do that. There should be more medium-sized companies that are being set up for the long term. So as much as they're starting as SMEs, we need to set them up so that if someone was saying, you know what, I'm running my informal business, but if I formalize this, this First, they gained the information. If I formalized it, do you know what? This thing could become a large company. This thing could attract VC funding from all around the world. This thing could then be, become a unicorn and then be listed on the jersey. So it's about the long-term game. And whether someone decides to go that route or not is up to them. But we need to put that kind of thinking, that kind of information, that access to that kind of information in front of people. Because honest to God, it's not there. It's really it comes not back there. to the education piece. Mm. It comes back to the education. And also something that is <coughs> a little more philosophical in nature is why do so many smaller businesses businesses choose not to formalize the business? And there I think there's a lot to be said about trusting a Western style financial system. Mm. No, I can't say right or wrong. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. There, there, there could be an element of distrust and actually taking taking that step. And it's about how do you, the formalized financial world that's currently in place in South Africa breach those trust issues so that you have those SMEs that are going for coming into the formal space and be able to actually grow because they do have the necessary skill sets, the necessary business models, it's just not in a formalized space yet. So there's also that philosophical side um, that, that if breached could also lead to quite a bit of growth. Yeah. We need to cut off. Um, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Um, banking committee, it's now your responsibility based on this discussion to map out a way forward. Uh, what are the salient points that you've picked up here and what are the things that need to be pursued further? Uh, you did indicate that we want to engage in the government at some point, but it's quite clear here, it's not like we're not going to put all the responsibility on government, we need to go to government with solutions. Um, but, but I think this was a, a, a very um, thought-provoking discussion and it's something that uh, should continue. Thank you to the panelists. I do not have vouchers, so I don't know if these gentlemen have any vouchers. But uh, I'm handing over to you, Ukula. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll have a bottle of water here. So, thank you to all who managed to come through and uh, we had um, people on the line as well who are listening in. Uh, I think we had a very interesting discussion and uh, as I expected, uh, this, is not, this is just the beginning of many discussions. I was actually turning to the study and we were thinking about actually creating a, a working group out of this to have more discussion because we are part of a large amount of stakeholders uh, in this space and to actually come up with tangible solutions, uh, you know, and uh, we, can, we can start to progress uh, further. Uh, so not only uh, for South Africa, but for the continent as a whole, because I mean, they seemed to be uh, quite a lot of uh, talk out there that we're kind of lagging behind the, the, other, the other powers.
thank you to everyone. Um, there's uh, food and drink outside. Um, actually, quite a lot because I think uh, we all paid this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take scouting. Uh, yeah, right. right. We'll take scouting. <laughs> thank you, everyone. And the heads are back in the same. Thank you.